Good morning and welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. My name is Josiah Kane. I got a couple people with me this morning as well. Wait, who are they? Uh, Chuck Jones is one of them. Oh, okay. And I, and I guess I can answer for myself. I'm I'm Isaac Kane. We're continuing our Christian Say What series. And uh, we're talking about child of God today. But before we get into that, we do have a couple emails. Good. Uh, Dan did not put Dan did not put anything in the body of the email, but he did have in the subject heading. I look forward to listening again next week, Lord willing. I assume that's <laughs> and making a joke about our Lord willing episode. The Lord did will it. Yes, he did. And then uh, Joe uh, Middleton also. Message us again. He said, Hey guys, I've been really enjoying the Christian Say What series. I was wondering if you could address a topic for my wife. Her mom is a firm believer that Christians shouldn't judge others at all. Her and I disagree with this concept, but I think there's a huge amount of Christians who believe this way. So I was wondering if you guys could cover the subject sometime. Hopefully, you can help them clear up the ongoing argument. Thank you for the time you guys put into making the podcast. That's a really good topic. Yeah. Judging? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I think I can... We should just comment on it quickly here. Sure. I don't yeah, know. I have some thoughts immediately. Yeah. So, let me... Uh, <laughs> let quickly, me, quickly. Let me pull up a Bible verse. While I'm doing that, Isaac, you can go ahead and talk. Yeah. Um, I've actually... It's been interesting because I've been talking with uh, people in my church about this topic every now and then. It's come up... Um, I think a lot of the argument, in my opinion, comes from when we mix together the two words condemning and judging. I think when most people say, as Christians, we shouldn't judge, I personally, I think really what's being argued is, as Christians, we shouldn't condemn people. Um, I guess this is a little bit of my personal opinion, but I feel Condemning that as in uh, casting judgment on them whether or not they're saved or not or they're yes particularly a judgment call about their um, inherent goodness or goodness or badness and where they might end up <laughs> right uh, because I'll take a little more coffee thank you not a slow drinker so I don't need to do that. <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> you said a little bit <laughs> I did <laughs> our uh our waitress just poured a drop of coffee <laughs> into my cup. <laughs> She's funny. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so condemning in the sense of someone does something you don't agree with or says something that you don't believe in or, you know, whatever, and you say, oh, they must be a terrible person and even go sometimes as far as saying they're going to go to, you know, the bad judgment at the end of the day, at the end of the age. Um but I think that there's a difference between judging something and condemning something. Oh, definitely. You know, I, I think you can kind of interchange judging something with discerning something. Absolutely. You know, um, one passage I think of right away is when Jesus says, you can tell a tree by its fruit. A good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit. And what he's really getting at, so you can tell if a person is good or following God or not following God by their actions and things that they say. That is a judgment call. You are making a judgment call there. 
but it's not a condemning call. It's just a discerning where the person is at. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, uh, Joe, and, and with your question here, in my personal opinion, um, I think Christians should never condemn people because that is God's call and judgment. But we can discern slash maybe use judge as another word, things, in the right heart and the right way. So that's my thoughts. I don't know if you guys had other thoughts as well. I do, yeah. There's a passage <clears throat> that I think ex extremely well touches on this subject here. Because I think as Christians we are mandated to judge. Mm. Which sounds counterintuitive, especially to someone like Joe's, uh, I think it's your mother-in-law here. So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, it's talking about immorality and how we should stay away from it. And verse 9 says this, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean that the immoral people of this world or the covetous and swindlers or idolaters, for then you would have had to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an adulterer or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do not judge those... Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Yeah. So there's obviously this problem with this guy in this church who the Corinthians are like, oh, it's fine what he's doing, which is totally not okay. He's the, It's a little ambiguous, but something messed up with his mom, <laughs> okay, or his mother-in-law or his dad's, his wife or whatever. But... So, but the important thing is that Paul is saying is those outside the church are under no authority of Christ. Right. You know, they right. made no commitments to following him as his Lord. Right. So to them, you are ambassadors. Mm. You know, as Jesus did, you are going out into the world yeah. to meet those people so that perhaps you can call them back to righteous living that you can call them into the fold of God right right or be a help in that process mm -hmm. but the very clear thing that Paul says here is we are to judge those in the church because you've made a commitment yeah. that I made and we are supposed to hold each other accountable to that commitment because yeah. we're brothers well mm -hmm. Peter did say that the judgment of God <laughs> begins at the house of God first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He judges his people more harshly than he judges everyone else. Yep. Yeah. And that makes sense because they are in a relationship with him. Right. So if you think about your spouse, obviously if someone else's spouse cheats on them, it's still wrong, right? And you may have your opinions about that. But you're not in a relationship with those people. They're not your spouse. And so you can't hold them accountable to you, right? Because they're not right. in a relationship. Right. But if your spouse goes and cheats yeah. on you, all of a sudden, that's a way different game you're playing. Right. You do have the right to judge them because they made a commitment to you. Right. And they said, I'm going to be faithful to you. And right. they weren't. Right. In the same way with people in the church is that we are all in this commitment together. And 
that's what the public baptism is for and making yeah. this public uh, commitment to Christ much like a wedding ceremony that says hey I am making you my I'm making you my Lord I'm dedicating my life to you and here everybody can see it and so when someone outside or inside the faith excuse me does obvious things against the faith it's our job to bring that up and love to bring them back to Christ right and if we do that scripture says that we are uh, forgiven a bunch of sins if we help lead someone back yeah so to answer your question Joe I think there is a difference between condemnation and judgment mm-hmm. and I think there's also a very fine line, or a very clear line between people inside the church and outside the church yeah who cares what people outside the church are doing God's their judge our job is being ambassadors and bring them back people inside yeah. the church they've made the commitment we made the commitment our job is to help sharpen them yeah. and that's as clear as I see yeah. I hope that kind of answers your question if it doesn't help keep them on track yeah. <laughs> to maybe use an illustration we're called to be a refining fire not a consuming fire that might be a good way to say it you know we're helped to uh, Sharpen, iron sharpens iron and uh, yep. help to point out when something's not going right in a way of love you know but yeah different than con- con- condemnation yep For keep sure. in mind that the ultimate judge though is right. is God and we are never supposed to take vengeance our judgment yes. doesn't re- doesn't involve physical punishment you know like that's not our job yeah we don't enact the justice of it right right now there are situations as Paul said here where maybe it's our job as a community to remove someone you know there's church discipline but that's a topic for a different time yeah so Joe I hope that helps answer your question if not um, go ahead and email us again and uh, we can maybe clarify something Um, or maybe if maybe we'll do a whole episode about it yeah. at some point but that's the short and quick do you have anything to add about don't judge your mother-in-law <laughs> that's true yeah. good wisdom good yeah. wisdom there deal with everyone in patience and love mm-hmm. yep. and that's how you should take your attitude to judgment yes yeah. All right. God has ordained a man to be the judge mm. by raising him from the dead and that's not me nope not me either. And I'm glad it's not me. I'm glad I don't have to make those calls. There is, I guess, one more thing I thought about on this topic. I mean, that's what this podcast is for, right? Just from friends Ooh. talking. So that's, yeah, the, that's the good part about the casual aspect of this. So you probably think of the King James Version when you hear this. And you, this is a verse your mother-in-law might have brought up before. Uh, Matthew 7 1 judge not judge not that ye be not judged so you know that's the the famous verse that especially non-Christians that I've heard they say why are you judging me as a Christian yeah. judge you shouldn't judge right because that's what Jesus said right well not quite is that going back to the moral handbook Think. Yeah. Before the podcast started, we were talking about um, different approaches to the Bible, and moral handbook was kind of a term that we gave for one of them. Mm-hmm. For those who are wondering, 
The thing is, though, that Jesus doesn't tell us not to judge. He says, think about how you're judging people. So there's actually quite a difference. He says, do not judge so that you will not be so judged. So that. So that. Yeah. You will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. Interesting. Yeah. And by your standards of measure, it will be measured to you. Yeah. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do you not notice the log that is in your own eye? So what Jesus is calling us to is not a lack of judgment, but a greater emphasis on grace and mm. mercy. On correct judgment. And right. some humility. To he examine said, yourself first. Don't he, he didn't tell us, don't be concerned with the speck in your brother's eye. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was about the point I want to make. Keep going. He said, you take the log out of your eye first so that you know how to help your brother. Mm-hmm. So how does it feel to have somebody dig a log out of your eye? Never it hurts. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. I fight against it. Now, guess what's going to happen with the speck? They're not going to like it. It's going to hurt, and they're going to fight against it. Right. You know that. You'll empathize with them. Yeah. And sympathize, and you'll understand what they're going through. Right. Yep. I mean, I've had it before, too, where, um, you know, like, in, in Christian fellowship, you're correcting one another. Like, especially with my really close friends, I'm like, why did you say that? You know, yeah. why did you do that? Why are you acting this way? And they're like, they kind of get a little defensive, obviously. Right. What do you mean? And I'm like, the only reason I bring it up is because I've been there. You know, I, I've, I've been this way too. And here's the ultimate thing about judgment, is we're all accountable to death. Yep. We are already judged as sinners. We're all on the same playing field. The only difference is which one of us have received mercy from God because of belief in his son and which ones have it. Right. We're all still the same sinners. Right. Coffee, anybody? Yes. I think I'm good for now, but thank you. I'm still good. I, I just been slowly drinking this one cup. Thank you. So, yeah. You can't judge someone when they're in the same place as you. You know, in that sense, you're not above them. You're just been changed yeah so maybe a good applicable tangible thing to do from here on out is when you're talking about judging something or maybe if you have further conversations joe with uh with your mother-in-law about this kind of conversation maybe use the word discern perhaps instead of judge because judge is a loaded word at this point yeah Mm -hmm. and discern gives more the connotation that we might be trying to communicate or um exhort Maybe a better word. That's also exhort, where you're uh, spurring on someone towards a certain action. So, judgment just sounds like you're sitting in this seat, this lofty seat, and you're condemning people, and you're guilty, guilty or not guilty. Yeah. But exhortation is like, I I care about you, I love you, and I see this in you, and this is what we are called to, and so I want us together to become more like Christ. Yeah. Boom. Well, the Bible reading we just finished up with Judges. And Judges in the Old Testament. Huh? So that's kind of coincidental and ironic. Yeah. Continue. Well, they didn't judge, <laughs> like, you know, Judge Judy. <laughs> yeah, definitely not like her. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. But when Israel was in trouble, 
because of their sin, want to remember that, the judges fought with them to overcome that. Yes. They didn't yes. just sit in there under their tree and say, you guys are obeying bad, bad, bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like they went into a city, erected their judgment seat, and told everybody to gather around and tell them how bad they were. You're right. You see that cartoon of a dog standing behind a pulpit? No. No. <laughs> and God said, bad dog, bad dog. <laughs> yeah. But you're right, uh, Chuck. The judges were there to help people get back to God. And if you read some of the judges, they weren't really great either sometimes. Yeah, no. they were right in the thick of it. God works through imperfect people. Amen. And that's how, for whatever reason, that's what he's decided that's to do. That's all he's got. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. So that answers that question. Why does God use imperfect people? There's all the people there are, yeah. except his son. And through his sacrifice and, and belief in him, we can be inheritors of that. Sons of God, children of God. Hey, there's the tie-in. There's the segue. There we go. Boom. Okay, so, Joe, I hope that helps. Love to hear from you. Thank you so much for writing. Yeah, Joe, thank you. And Dan, thank you for sending an email as well. Appreciate it. So, Is that Uncle Dan? Yeah, yeah, that's my Uncle Dan. Oh, Danny. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that guy. So, um, child of God, um, Chuck, uh, you kind of brought the topic to us because, um, why don't you just tell the story about... Well, there were, it, it came up in a conversation and people were wondering, what does that mean? What does that mean? Now, these people were educated people who asked this question and it may be maybe their question is deeper than just a face value mm-hmm. yeah. you know we may have to get down into it theologically to understand it not only is it a weird term because you know it could have the implication like are you saying you're like some kind of demigods or you know, like, yeah. like in Greek mythology, they Hercules? were... Hercules? Yeah, like Hercules yeah. was a, a child of the gods. Like if I said, I'm the son of Zeus, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Sound that, like yeah. I'm trying to be like, I'm a demigod of Zeus or right. whatever, you know. Next maybe. time I see your dad, I'll call him Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> I want to clarify that. I don't think I'm the son of Zeus. Anyway. <laughs> and there's also, you know, it can just be weird, like, what kind of relationship is there? Like, yep. like what... It's weird language, uh, but it's especially in Western culture. It's kind of. Yeah. Are you selecting for yourself some kind right. of a higher status? Right. Mm. Are you telling everyone you're better than them? Yeah. You know. Right. What does it mean? Well, I think the one distinguishing factor about being a child of God is that not everyone is. Yeah. Now. Everyone is made in the image of God, mm-hmm. but not everybody is a child of God. So let's yeah. just talk about that difference real quick. Mm. So Genesis 9, 6, and the beginning of Genesis as well, says that God created them in their image. Yeah. But Genesis 9, 6 says, 
Whoever sheds human blood, by man his blood shall be shed. So he's saying, don't murder. For in the image of God, he made mankind. Mm. So why is human life valuable? The Bible says it's valuable because we're made in the image of God. Yes. Right? That's the intrinsic innate value of every single human being. Mm-hmm. It's because regardless. they're... Regardless. Regardless of their belief system, their quality of life, What they actions, think about themselves. What they think about themselves, what they think about others. From, from Hitler to St. Teresa... We are all equally in the image of God, which is hard for some people to comprehend. But there is innate value in every human for that reason. Right. Even Putin? Even Vladimir Putin. Even Putin. He, he reserve, deserves redemption just as much as I do. Which is none at all. We, we don't deserve it at all because we're both sinners. But, but God's grace can equally be extended to all who believe in his son and make that commitment which is the amazing thing about it so how do we become children of God then? Um, well first of all it's not it's not the only person who's been confused about it are these people you're talking about your story truck because in John chapter 3 Nicodemus is talking to Jesus and Jesus says, who's Nicodemus? Maybe you should say who Nicodemus is. They give more Nicodemus is a, as a Pharisee, highly educated Jewish man who's having this uh, sit-down meeting with Jesus in the middle of the night so that they're not discovered because it was kind of taboo to talk to Jesus if you're a Pharisee. So they're having this conversation, and Jesus says, uh, now there was a man, this is the beginning of chapter 3 of John, now there was a man... The Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this kind of freaks Nicodemus out. He says, (laughs) How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So, like, obviously... He doesn't get it. <laughs> he doesn't get it. Yeah. Maybe he's being a little sarcastic or whatever. Right. Maybe not. But whatever the case is, he clearly doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. So these people that you're talking about, Chuck, are not the first ones. Like, is this like some kind of weird ritual thing going yeah. on that you become a child of God? Or you yeah. Like, or is something like, really, really freaky going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. Like, is this weird <laughs> stuff? What's going on? No. <laughs> is this weird stuff? <laughs> it's not weird. It's amazing. So John chapter 1 says, Hey, good call. I was going to look at that later. Okay, well, here we go. It's talking about Jesus. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Yes. He gave what? The right. The right. To become children. Not power. The right. Not the mystic power. Nope. His adoption. Yeah. Yeah, your family knows about adoption. Yeah, my in-law's family uh, in particular, they um, went through some adoption process at one point. So, yeah, they're familiar with with that process. It's a good process. Mm -hmm. Adoption is a powerful thing. I'm going to see if I'm right. Because 
it's a choosing, a purposeful choosing of someone to become a part of your family. You know, that's that's powerful, especially when we're talking about God doing it with us. Normally, you can't choose your family. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the amazing thing about this family. Yep. The one and only family you have that purposely chose to be your brothers and sisters. Yep. Talking about the family of God. Yeah. We're all adopted brothers and sisters, co-heirs with Christ. So, I uh, I think I spent the last nine minutes talking. I think I should take a break. <laughs> um, yeah, so I wanted to bring up some other things, too. Remember, uh, I don't remember, Phil's how many weeks ago it was, but we were talking about the Christian needs of being blessed, like have a blessed day. Oh, right. And we looked at the... Beatitudes of Jesus. I want to go back to one of those because it goes well with what we're talking about today. Uh, so Matthew 5, verse 9. Just one of the things where Jesus says we're blessed to do. The blessed are the peacemakers. Why are they blessed? For they shall be called sons of God. There's the, another way of saying children of God, sons of God, being born again, all the same imagery talking about being a child <coughs> of God. Right. Blessed are the peacemakers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, I also wanted to bring up another interesting point of being a child of God is not just like a title we get, like, oh, now you're calling Christ your Lord and Savior, you have this title, this weird mystic title called Son of God. Like, that's just part of your title now of who you are. But yeah, it's really, not like when you graduate from college, you get, like, a doctorate or a, yeah, a like, bachelor's degree. Yeah, it's not like, oh, yeah, now I'm, now I'm doctor so-and-so. Right. It's way more than that. It's actually, like, the nature you inherit. And I want to talk about that in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 13 and 16. Um... It says here, this is part of Jesus' ministry when he was on earth. And they, being a bunch of Jews that just started to recognize this cool Jesus guy that was doing cool stuff, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, or which means like blessing them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And this next part I wanted to pay attention to. Truly I say to you, because he's talking to the disciples who are grown people, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Okay, what does it mean to be a child? You think about a parent-child dynamic for a second. I know, especially for me, I can talk to myself. When I was a child, I was completely dependent on my parents to take care of me and provide for me. And I looked up to them, and I trusted and loved them, and felt secure in their care, right? If they said, come here? Most of the time, I did. <laughs> uh, I, I trusted that they would keep providing a place for food and water and shelter, and I knew that they would take care of me. And on top of my basic needs, they also did what they could to raise me up well and help me be mature and teach me wisdom and the ways of life. Well, I think, for one, they did a good job. Oh, well, thank you. I think they did, too. Um, 
And that's our dynamic that Jesus is saying that we need to have with God. So being a child of God is quite literally like imagining yourself as you are a child and God is your parent, your father. Just like how I was completely dependent on my mom and dad to take care of me and to raise me, so should I be in that same dynamic with God. Of course, not everybody's had the same earthly example of that, but... Right. Right. That's right. But the illustration can still yeah. make sense. I imagine the best earthly example you can imagine of a father and mother and then enhance it. And then it's not even close. So yeah. throw that analogy yeah. out of your brain <laughs> <laughs> and then look to Scripture to see what God does. Right. Yeah, Jesus described fathers as being evil. Yep. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts. How much more than the heavenly father? Yep. is going to give good gifts. Right. So I, I wanted to bring that up to make the point of being a child of God is not just like a weird title that we give ourselves as Christians, but it's really a proclamation of the kind of relationship we put ourselves in to God. Yep. It's a, it's a, it's a term of commitment that comes with responsibility and privilege. Yeah. Yes, both. Kind of like when I say I am my wife's husband, that's not just a title. There's a lot of nature there. I'm making a proclamation of my commitment and relationship to her and how I conduct myself and how right. I should interact with her. Same dynamic. Well, on the same, in the same vein, yeah. you say you're your wife's husband. And if you can imagine all that that's supposed to involve. Yeah. Would your wife agree with you that you are her husband? I certainly think so. I hope so. You know yes. what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Well, I'm a child of God. Does God agree with that? <laughs> yeah. Does he think you're doing that? And that's the thing, is that being a child comes with inheritance. Mm. You know, we, we partake in what Jesus gives us as a child, which is the kingdom of God. God's favor, His grace. But then there's also the walking hand in hand with God. You know, the aligning our will to His purpose. There's obedience involved. There's uh, reliance on Him. Yeah. Thinking of child of God, my mind went to 1 John 3. Mm -hmm. 1 and 2. Jesus talked about the right to be, was it right to be sons of God or called? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Okay. Behold, John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know Him. Goes to that confusion you spoke of. Yeah, right. They don't know. How can this... It just doesn't work. Yep. Beloved, he goes on in verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it doesn't yet... Yet it hasn't yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when we He is revealed, 
we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I love that. We shall see him as he is. Yep. And what we will become is immortal. It is changed. Right now we experience, it's a two-step process. We experience spiritual change right now when we accept Christ. Mm-hmm. We're redeemed. You know, we're forgiven. We receive the Holy Spirit, all these other things. But our physical immortal change that we see after the resurrection of Jesus, that doesn't happen until the end of the end, you know? Right. And the end, the beginning of the kingdom, you know, yeah. the beginning of the next age. Yeah. I think another interesting point to make is that no matter what, whether you are a going to claim yourself as a Christian or not, you are a child of something. Or in other words, something has a position of authority over you. I think sometime in our culture, we like to believe that we can be like self-autonomous. Autonomous. Is that the phrase? Yeah. Oh, there you go. I learned a new word today. Uh, being in control of yourself, but um, we can your see own from master. scripture, right, be your own master. We can see from the words of Jesus in many ways that if we're not going to be, sometimes he says a, a servant or a, a servant of God, we could be a servant of the enemy. Um, there is, there are only two camps. Yeah. There's only two what? Camps. You got God's camp and you have the other camp. <laughs> <laughs> which can uh, fall under a lot of things, but it's the things of this world. It's, it's evil. It's it's selfishness. It's pride. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, gluttony. It's it's murder. It's greed. You know, it's all these things. Hatred or oppression. And, right. Yeah. And you can align yourself with anything, yeah. even if it seems good. Um, it's not good unless God says it is. And unless you're in his camp, then you're on the other side. You're either judged to be found with God or you're judged not to be found with God. Those are your two options. There's no middle ground. There's no demilitarized zone that you can walk through. (laughs) It puts me in mind of Romans 12. Not to be cornered to be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can prove that God's will is good, perfect and acceptable Mm. and unless your mind is transformed that's not going to be the case you'll be fighting against God's will somehow for one reason or another one excuse or another the flesh and the spirit are opposed Constantly yes. battling to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Yep. Galatians 5. Uh-huh. Um, I want to bring up a passage about how if we're not a son of God, we can be a son of the enemy. Um, in John chapter 8. And keep in mind everything we've already talked about, what it means to be a son or child of something. Right. It applies to this. It applies to this as well in the negative sense. Uh, Jesus is talking to the Jews. In verse 39 of John chapter 8, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, <laughs> if you <laughs> laugh because it's just such strong words. Jesus is about end this whole man's career. Yeah. <laughs> if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. 
But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So it seems like he's making a distinction already that they have a different father, right? They said to him, we were not born of you know sexual morality. We have one father, even God. <laughs> and Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you say, why do you not understand what I say? <laughs> Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Burn, baby. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Amen. And that is a mic drop moment from Jesus there. He's going to need 200 pokey dollars for that burning heel. <laughs> <laughs> and, all the, and all the nerds that are listening to this laugh that once. And I think that goes back to Genesis. Mm, that does. The enmity between the woman's seed and the serpents. Yes. We know the woman's seed is Jesus. And the serpent's seed is the Pharisees. Pharisees are really anyone that the evil lives the in the way of the world, world and rejects God. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the Pharisees were totally off base. It's not like they were these evil people against God. They were they were trying to serve God. They just missed they just missed the heart of it. They skewed it. Yeah, it was skewed over time. It was parallel, kind of, yeah. off track. They they miss the heart of the law, yeah, the spirit of it. But they right. follow the word of it, right? You know, Jesus all the time like would tell them things like, "You search the scriptures because you think in them you get eternal life. You actually get it through me." <laughs> you know, like the scriptures are meant to be a tool to point you towards God right. and His Son, right? right. To point to Messiah. Well, anything else you guys had on this topic? I guess one cool passage, I guess, that sums up everything we talked about, I just wanted to maybe have a closing passage with, is Romans 8, 14 through 17. I think it really speaks for itself. I don't think I have to, we have to give too much commentary on it after everything we've already said. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For, we didn't, for all who <laughs> are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What? <laughs> for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption there's that word adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba Father I love that the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified I think that just says well what we've been saying the whole time, I think. Yeah, being a child of God is not some weird, spooky, messed up, ritual, tradition, cult thing. Or body <laughs> status. Of yeah, you know, it's, not a, it's not a moment to lord yourself over others. You know? It is a humble, a humble adoption into something greater than yourself. And it's not by our, own, our power. 
you know, as, as far as like we were talking about judgment earlier, it, it's not something that we did. So we're in no place to hold it over others. It's all mercy and grace that we've received. Mm-hmm. And you can too, if you're listening to this and you have it. It's it's about obedience and it's about belief. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He died for your sins, and you're willing to commit to Him so that He is your Lord. Yeah. That means your master. You're obedient to Him. You follow yes. Him in everything. Yes. And if you're willing to do that, then you too can become a child of God. Mm-hmm. Right now. You just make that commitment. And you study the scriptures. And you learn yeah. what you should be doing. Yep. You can switch from having a father that is out to exploit you for his own gain and switch to a father that does everything, literally everything, to bring life, bring life to you. Yep. There was a story about Abraham Lincoln. One of the reasons why he was so set against slavery was when he was a young boy, his father would farm him out to the neighbors. You go, you go work for neighbor Bill today, and then Abraham would go do the work, get paid, come home. Dad would take the pay for himself. Probably didn't like that too much. He didn't think that was a cool thing. <laughs> hey, what's up with this? I did the work. Well, our Heavenly Father does not exploit us that way. Nope. But the other father we could have, the devil, does. Yep. Yep. This is, yeah, this is, I just want to emphasize, this is not some kind of weird cult thing that we're talking about here. This is, this is spiritual. Yeah. You know, it's, it's happening not on the physical level, but on the spiritual level. And then it will happen on the physical level, the transformation. Yeah. It has to have mortality. Yep at the return of Jesus. So thank you so much for listening and uh, we will catch you guys next time. Yes. Send us an email, breakfasttheology at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Bye. Until next time.